if God allows you to endure some evil, you can be very confident as a child of God that what he will bring from it in you and through you and what will be to the eternal praise of Jesus Christ as the ultimate result of it will outweigh by far the pain and the torment that you have endured on the way. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick and Colin, that's an encouraging thought for anyone who's facing a rough time right now. Yeah, it's a perplexing issue, this, isn't it? That we all want to give thanks to God for the good things that happen, but how do we relate God to the things that are bad or very, very painful in our lives? And Christians go different ways on this. I mean, sometimes a believer will will say, well, you know, God merely allowed it, but they don't want to say God willed it because it, you know, kind of gets God into stuff that seems like it's rather painful. Well, I think that the Bible has a better answer than that. God doesn't distance himself from the tough stuff of life. And the scriptures point us to the the hand of God, not only in good things, but in all things. And I think that's profoundly helpful when it comes to struggling through some of the hardest things. God isn't at a distance from this. He is actually actively at work and he's got a purpose through it. We see that played out in the story of David and Saul. So I hope you'll open your Bible and join us in the first book of Samuel, chapter 16. As we begin the message, Soothe My Troubled Heart. Here's Pastor Colin. Well, we are up and running on our series, A Tale of Two Kings. We began by meeting King Saul, uh, who we described as a king gone bad. Saul, a tragic figure in the Bible. Here's someone who believed in God, who for a time uh, offered service to God, and yet his heart, even through that time, was in rebellion against God. And we have seen that Saul is the one that none of us wants to be like. And then last week we met David, a man after God's own heart. We saw that man looks on the outward appearance, might not see outwardly or immediately any great difference between David and Saul, but God looks on the heart. And we saw David, of course, was born with a sinful heart like all of his brothers and like all of us. So where did David get a heart after God? The only answer is this, God gave it to him. God seeking this new heart and God found it because God gave it. And we saw that that takes us right to the promise of the gospel, uh, which in Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26, is stated this way. God says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. Now, as the story goes on, the difference between David and Saul becomes increasingly obvious. Uh, It boils down to this. We summarized it last time in this way, that uh, Saul was a religious man and David was a regenerated man. And there is all the difference in the world between these two. That was our focus last time. The religious person is really just a church-based version of the person that they were before. But the person who is regenerated has a new heart. That's what the the word means. There's a love for Christ. There's a grieving over sin, whatever it is detected. There is a longing to be holy and to pursue that in the power of the Spirit. And the difference between the religious person and the regenerated person, beautifully pictured for us in the New Testament by a man called Nicodemus, 
Do you remember this man? And he came to Jesus one night, we're told in John's Gospel and chapter 3. And he's a religious man. He's a moral man. He's an educated man. He's a man who's highly respected in the community. A man of influence, a natural leader. And he comes to Jesus. And remember, Jesus says to him, Now, Nicodemus, you must be born again. We could put it like this. Jesus was saying to him, you have to become like David, a regenerated man, or Nicodemus, you will remain like Saul, simply a religious man. That's basically what you are at this point. And you remember that this religious man who was a teacher in Israel had absolutely no idea whatsoever about what Jesus was speaking to him of. Not the faintest idea. He says, well, now I'm a grown man. How in the world can I climb back into my mother's womb? And it's completely beyond him. As perhaps the things that we are speaking of may seem completely beyond some in the congregation even today. And I want to give you therefore this encouragement. The good news of the story of Nicodemus is that by the time you get to the end of the gospel, Nicodemus comes out into the open and identifies himself as a disciple of Jesus. And so the story, as you put it together at the beginning and the end of John's gospel, is that God turned this religious man into a regenerated man, and God can do the same for every man and woman here in this service today. So I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with these things, you're thinking, now this is, I'm not quite sure I'm getting all of this, stay with the Word of God in this series. And as we always try to submit ourselves to the Word of God, I try to do that as I speak. We must try and do that as, as we listen. Ask God to be your teacher. Tell Him that you want to grasp more than you have grasped already, that you want to get what is not yet clear to you. Tell Him that you want more from Him than you have already received. And what God did for David, and what God did for Nicodemus, in giving a new heart, God is also wonderfully able to do for you. So now we've met the two kings, Saul and David. We've understood something about them, the religious and the regenerate, and all the world of difference between the two. And the purpose of this series now is going to be to follow the story of these two kings, the very different lives and experiences that came uh, to them. And now that we know who they are, and now that we know what they represent, we will be able to learn from them together. Now just think about this as you frame this in your mind for the rest of the series. There are two kings. And there's the old king who was abandoned by God. The new king was anointed by God. The old king kept bringing disaster to the people around him. The new king keeps bringing blessing to people who are around him. The old king hates the new king. Some of you know the story already. We'll, we'll find it in the chapters to come over these next weeks. But the old king, Saul, does all that he can to oppose the new king, David, to resist him. He, he hunts him. He tries to kill him. And as time goes on, the life of the old king becomes more and more consumed and absorbed with this antagonism that he feels ever more deeply towards the new king and his claims. But then we find, and this is so fascinating, the new king, what does he do? He shows grace to the old king. 
He refuses to take advantage of the old king's weakness. He does him good again and again and repeatedly spares his life. The new king loves the old king and grieves over him at the end of the book when finally the old king dies. And so we're going to follow this tale of two kings, this extraordinary story of Saul who is always fighting against David, and this remarkable story of David who is always showing grace to Saul. And of course, it will be obvious to you by now that the new king, David, consistently in the book of 1 Samuel, points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who is the son of David. Christ who is born into the line of David. Uh, David is not the Messiah. David needs a savior. In 2 Samuel, we'll find out in the later book that David has many sins of his own. But here in 1 Samuel, he is especially presented to us as a type of Christ, a figure of Christ a kind of pointer to Jesus Christ. And in this book, we're going to see him consistently as the Lord's anointed who comes to serve and then is rejected. We'll see that all the way through the book. And then Saul, the old king, we'll see how he points us to how the sinner hates Christ and resists him and always opposes him. Uh, So as we will see in the Gospels, when it comes to Christ, they, they hunt him and even kill him. The sinner always wants to crown himself as the king, and he does not want to relinquish the throne. And so God says the new king must reign, and so there's always a conflict. It just goes on and on and on, and that's the story of Saul, and that's the story of David, the tale of two kings, and it gives us a window into the very heart of Jesus Christ coming into the world. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and if you ever miss any of our broadcasts, you can always go to our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download or stream any of the previous messages, including today's. We're adding more and more resources to our website, You can find Open the Bible Story, which includes a 30-session journey through the Bible Story, which we call The Drive. It will take you through the deep valleys of the Old Testament and up to the peaks of the glory of Jesus, as well as the ups and downs of the Christian life. It includes a study guide to help you discuss your 30-day journey in a small group. Now back to the message, here's Pastor Colin. Now, I hope you have the Bible open and that uh, you will open it at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14, where we take up the story today. Notice the extraordinary contrast that is focused for us between verse 13 and verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord, verse 13, rushed upon David from that day forward. That's where we ended last time. And now where we begin today, verse 14 the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, you couldn't get a clearer contrast than that, could you? The Spirit of the Lord rushing on David from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord departing from Saul. Now, let's pause here for a moment, uh, because many questions arise from the Spirit of the Lord departing from Saul. 
In Old Testament times, it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit was given to certain people for particular purposes. The Holy Spirit came on Saul, giving him wisdom for the responsibilities that had been trusted to him in regards to government. In particular, he was given the ability to prophesy. Remember this, that God helps those who do not honor him as well as those who do. It's a very important principle. And we acknowledge this every time we pray for our nation. We pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, will help our leaders, some of whom honor him and some of whom do not. But we pray indiscriminately that God will help all of them because we believe that in his mercy, God helps those who do not honor him as well as those who do. Now, theologians, who of course have a name for everything, have a name for this, and it's called common grace. That is, grace that God gives widely, indiscriminately, to those who dishonor him and even defy him, as well as those who honor him and love him. And common grace is expressed in many, many ways in our world. Jesus uh, speaks of it this way. God makes this, the sun to shine and the rain to fall on those who are evil as well as those who are good. What this means is very wonderfully, and thank God for this, that God is able to prompt a bad king to make a good decision. We're all relieved about that, aren't we? That God is able to do this, and indeed he does. What is that? It is common grace. And it was the experience that Saul had of the Holy Spirit. Now, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us very clearly that the kindness of God, that is the common grace of God, is given for this purpose, that it should lead us to repentance. You would think that the gifts of God in life and in this world that are indiscriminately given to all would simply lead all to repentance. But we are seeing very clearly that Saul did not follow that path. He hardened his heart in rebellion against God. And so I want you to notice in verse 14 what happened next. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He was no longer experiencing this particular help and wisdom for the purpose of the wise guiding of the kingdom in these earlier years. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and then something else happened. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. A harmful spirit from the Lord. Now, if anyone's not got a few questions about that phrase, you're simply not awake. All kinds of questions come up from that phrase, right? A harmful spirit from the Lord? What in the world is this? Let me make these two observations, and they are very important. Number one, God is sovereign over evil as well as good. And you only need to think about that for a moment to say from your heart, thank God that it is so, because if evil was sovereign over God, we'd all be in desperate trouble. But God is sovereign over evil as well as good. And you see that, of course, most clearly, many places in the Bible, but perhaps most particularly in the story of Job, 
where it becomes quite evident from the first chapter that Satan operates within certain boundaries that are set by Almighty God. By the way, that is why in the New Testament, God says, and this is a very precious promise for Christians who are tempted, God says that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. God sets boundaries to the degree of temptation that Satan is allowed to bring to you. Satan always operates within boundaries that are set by God. That is why the Bible also says that Satan knows that his time is short. There are boundaries in terms of his operations, and there are boundaries in terms of his time, and both are set not by Satan, but by Almighty God himself, because God is sovereign over evil, and thank God for that. And here's the principle. When people choose evil, When a nation chooses rebellion against God, the boundaries within which Satan operates widen and his activities become ever more evident because they are widened by God. And this is precisely what was happening at this point in the life and the tormented experience of this first king, Saul. Second observation is this, and it is very important, that God uses evil as well as good in his own ultimate purposes. Evil is evil, and there is no darkness in God. But because God is sovereign over evil, he is able to use it so that he is not defeated by it. That's what sovereignty means but that he actually employs evil so that Satan unwittingly and to his own eternal frustration actually becomes an agent whose work ends up advancing the ultimate purpose of God. How frustrating it must be to be the devil. How eternal will be his frustration. And of course you see this God uh, working uh, evil into his own ultimate purpose all over the Bible. I mean, uh, take Joseph's brothers are a wonderful example. What do they do? They beat him up. They, they sell him as a slave into Egypt. That's evil, and they're morally responsible for it. But does that defeat the purpose of God? No. In God's sovereignty, it becomes the very means by which Joseph is brought to Egypt where he becomes a prince and a savior, and then one day he's able to say to his brothers, you meant it for evil. But God intended it for good. Who was sovereign? Who came out on top? God was not defeated by what you did. In fact, God's purpose for my life was furthered by what you did, even though it was evil and you were responsible for it. You see it in the Apostle Paul. Do you remember how in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, uh, Paul speaks about how God had allowed him to live with what? A thorn in the flesh. And do you remember what Paul says about that? He says that thorn in the flesh was a messenger from Satan sent sent to buffet me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away. But this particular work of Satan, identified in that way by the Apostle Paul himself, was the means, not of overwhelming the purpose of God through the Apostle, but of demonstrating in the experience of the apostle that the grace of God was sufficient for him as it is for us. And, Paul says, 
It had the added effect of keeping me from becoming proud, which if that had happened would have completely ruined my ministry. So here's this great trouble, whatever it was that that Satan was allowed within certain boundaries to work by God, and yet God sovereignly utilizes even this in the ministry of the Apostle Paul so that its effect is advanced rather than hindered. And of course, most of you will be ahead of me already on this. You see it supremely at the cross. Here are men who take nails and they pound them into the flesh of the Son of God. That's evil. But does it defeat the purpose of God? No, through this very cross, through this most heinous of all crimes, and in the middle of it, God is reconciling the world to himself as Jesus Christ becomes the sin-bearer on the cross. That's sovereignty over evil, isn't it? And it's demonstrated in his resurrection from the dead. Now, this is why, friends, in Romans 8 and verse 28... One of the most precious verses in all of the Bible to a Christian believer. It says that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. This is a precious promise given to the family of God. God works in all things. And the word all there means all If it said, friends, God works in the good things for those who love him, that verse would not be of much help to us. It would leave a massive sphere of the bad things that were somehow outside of the ultimate purpose of God. It would leave, as it were, a huge black hole in the world of grace. And that black hole would suck us in and that it would ultimately lead us to despair. But because God is sovereign even over evil, the Scripture says to us that God works in all things. That is, the bad things in your life and in my life as well as the good, the worst things as well as the best. And he is always working in all things and through all things for the eternal good of those who love him. Only a sovereign God can do such a thing. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, Soothe My Troubled Heart, looking today at how God is sovereign over evil as well as good and how he can actually use evil as well as good to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, people like you. And if you want to help and support our work of bringing God's Word to folks all over the country, we would greatly value a regular donation each month. As our way of saying thank you when you set up a regular amount of £5 or more, we'd like to send you a copy of the book You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. It's by Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth and Robert Walgamuth. And Colin, who would you say this book's written for? Oh, I think it's for every person who has ever said, what in the world is God doing? And I think I think we've all asked that question many, many times. You know, you look at your life and you say, oh, if only something were different, if only I didn't have this illness, or if only I had a believing partner, if only I wasn't in this particular situation. And what we're really doing is we're asking a question about what it is that God is doing in a circumstance that we would not have chosen. 
And Robert and Nancy have written a marvelous book that reminds us that it is God who writes the story of his children's lives in all of the circumstances that we face. So, you know, you look down the contents page of this uh, book, chapters on, you can trust God when your marriage is in trouble. You can trust God when you're hard-pressed financially. You can trust God when you lose your health. You can trust God when your child breaks your heart. Each chapter is actually aimed at a particular circumstance. And what each chapter does is it shows how God works redemptively in every circumstance of life. It's a wonderful book. It's a joy to read. It's a book of stories. And I think it's going to be a marvelous help and encouragement to everyone who reads it. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book if you're able to set up a regular donation of £5 per month or more. You can find details of this offer on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith and for me, David Pegg, I hope you'll be able to join us again next time on Open the Bible. This broadcast of Open the Bible was supported by our listeners. Many people believe that if they threw off the claims of Christ, they would be free. Discover why the opposite is true, next time on Open the Bible.